I don't want you to. Oh, there it is. So I guess it helps when you take the mic off mute. I guess that's <laughs> either that or you got to speak louder. Okay. We might turn it down just a little bit, and then if you want to hear it louder, then you got to go like this, so the guy in the back can say, can turn it up. Uh, turn it down just a little bit more. There we go. Uh, turn with you, with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter five. The fullness of marriage in Christ. This was the the message I more or less intended to preach last week. Um, I think the Lord had a special reason for not doing it at the time. Is there anybody who feels like they just there's something on their heart during that time of worship before we go forward in the message that has something that's on their heart to share with us this morning? Tina. Let's pray, pray right now. That's Lisa. Oh. Oh, wow. We were praying about it and didn't even know we were praying about that. And that's your dear friend, isn't it? Okay, so this is a dear friend of Tina's right now. So this is going to be a hard time for her in the service because she's going to be thinking of a friend right now. So, Father, we just want to lift our hands and hearts to Tina right now, Lord. And those who feel just as connected and feel that relationship just as special. Lord, and I just pray, Father, more than discomfort, Father, I just pray for just the presence of your love, Lord, right now. Tina needs to, your touch, and Lord, I know that this is a hard time, and so, Father, the reality is all of us are touched with it in some way, and so, Jesus, I just pray for Tina in this service. Touch her, Lord, bless her. Father, give her the comfort of your love in these moments, and Lord, I just uh, pray as she's rehearsing the love and the friendship that she's had with this dear friend of hers, that God... Um, as these friendships, they come to a close at some point, but the reality is, is that the dearness and the nearness of, their, uh, of our friendships and our relationship with them will never leave our hearts. And God, I just pray that she'll carry that with her. And Lord, even throughout the week, that Jesus, that this will just bring Tina just closer to you, Lord. As Lord, she's looking for your embrace right now. She needs the blessing of your touch. And Lord, as a church, we're here for our sister as well. And so Lord, I just pray for... Uh, that blessing at the moment. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. Lord, be with her. Hallelujah. I'm so sorry. I know that's hard. Satra. Well, hold on a second. He's going to bring you so that everybody can hear you. <laughs> so hold it up close. So that, uh, oh, there we go. There we go. Okay. Um, so while I was worshiping, there's one song that was talking about the presence of God, and it was something that I've just been um, just talking with him recently about and just about his presence. And anyway, so I think that this word is for you, Tina. Um, so as I was just thinking about the presence of God, um, Amuna came up and she just like hugged my legs and, you know, just instantly out of just like a mother's reaction, you know, I just instantly just grabbed her right back and, you know, and picked her up and he just gave me the understanding of like, that's how quick my presence is. It's not something that you have to strive for. It's not, you know, if you as a mother... And being a broken person, you know, that's your instant reaction. It's just right like that. And um, he said, how much more for me and my love towards you guys? You know, I'm there, there's nothing that you have to do except just reach out to me, and I'll be right there with that's you. Right. Amen. There's an old song that says, he's as close as the mention of his name. Let that be our comfort today. And... Uh, Obviously, the Lord has more of a reason for this. So praise God. Praise God. He's as close as the mention of his name. And sometimes, we don't know. We prayed this morning and we said, Lord, we don't know what everybody's coming in here with. We don't know what their burdens or what they're feeling right now. 
But I want you to understand, whatever you're going through, whatever your struggles are in this moment, that they're God's as well. And, and they're ours as well. And maybe we don't have the same depth of feeling that you do over it, but we're not, we're not a church that we overlook what you're going through. And so I want you to know, whether you feel comfortable to or not, I want you to know there's brothers and sisters right here in this place that you can open up to and talk to. And I would like to invite this church. Those of us, this is where you're, you've been for a while. This is your home ground. This is the turf you tread. And I want to invite you to, to take time to um, get to know people if you haven't got to know them and, and each other and make sure that we're very intentional about asking how are you doing because we want to know and we sincerely do. And, and I want to say on the other end, I want you to answer honestly. <laughs> I want you to answer honestly because you know we all say, yeah, I'm good, all's fine. But sometimes that's not how it feels. And honestly, I think what's amazing is that sometimes the prayer that somebody praises is all the comfort you're going to ever feel like you need in the world. So I'm thankful for this. We've had a service today. God has already done that. Whatever else is just the icing on the cake, but the Lord is ministering. Is there anybody else before we go forward with the message? Okay. So we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. This is some pretty powerful stuff to us. This is wives... Be subject to your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For as the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed by the washing of the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she might be holy and blameless so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Um, I don't know how many of us are married. I know there's a number of us that are here. And I know there's n numerous of us that have been at different points. And, and there's, there's so many places in the scripture that is so ideal. If we're looking for what God's counsel is in marriage, it's right here. I mean, it tells, it spells it out perfectly. This is what the husband and the wife is. But in our society right now, in our society ever since basically we got this Bible put in our hands, and even before that, the moment the first man was ever created, we had a mess up with what God's original intention and his plan was. And so when we read some of these stories, we have a lot of, well, what ifs and exception clauses, as it were, in our minds, because we think in this broken up, shattered world that we live in, how in the world can we put in practice what we just read? Because when you come into the marriages of today and the marriages of yesterday and <laughs> And before that, there's always been trouble when it comes to the relationships, and especially those relationships between men and women. And so um, we're purely talking about marriage in this sense because there's so many ways unless we are devoted and have a covenant relationship with our spouse that we've already, before we even get here, we've already destroyed the integrity of what a relationship was meant and what God designed us for. So if we're looking outside of that somehow and trying to put the pieces together, you're kind of on your own. The reality is, is that you kind of have to figure out how to make it work without the promises and the provisions that God intended for you. But here we have his words so we know what God wants for us and what he intends for our relationships. So I think that the one thing is, is this is for the lady 
And she's going to ask the question in the world now, is this, is this about slavery or safety? And for a lot of women, it is. It feels like it's slavery. And there might be another way of putting that, but the reality is for them, they're like, do you know the husband that I live with? Do you understand the man that I have to try and figure out how to work through? And, and not only that, but sometimes there's no way of repairing it. And that's how we feel about it. But I want to begin to bring about what God's intention was. And His intention was never for it to be slavery, but safety. So I want to share a few points with you on that. Biblical submission is simply an expression of your vision and your faith in God's design for your husband. And this is where we can miss it because truthfully, even if that man isn't living up to God's plan and God's standard for his life, the reality is, you might turn me down just a little bit more there. Um, I feel like I'm like, wow, I'm like... Um, no matter where he's at in life, if you take this course, it's the, it's the most likely that you're going to see. So in other words, we say, if, no, uh, if, if any course will work, this one will work for him. But this is also the one that works for you because what you're doing is, despite what I see in my husband, despite what I see in, in anything around me, the first thing that I have to settle in my heart is, do I believe what God has said is the standard for my life? And if I do, then the reason why I'm doing this is not primarily for my marriage, not primarily for my own happiness or the relationship that exists between my husband and I. That's kind of the, the side issue here. The bigger part of it is, is, where am I with God? And do I really believe what He's given me? Do I believe in His promises? And do I believe in His commands as His safety net and His provision and His plan for my life? So, ladies, I want to encourage you in this. The biblical submission is simply an expression of your vision and your faith in God's design for your husband, no matter where he's at. It places you under the care and protection of the headship of your husband. The, the reality is, is that he's there for, God ordained him for a reason to be there to care and protect for you. And as you begin to take the fullness of what this means and stop looking at it from the perspective of slavery and see it as this is God's safety net for me, that you're creating a platform for your husband to be able to care for you, protect you, to be there to do what God intended him to do. And it provides a platform of conviction to love you as Christ loved the church. Notice that God gives a, a command to the husband as well. And you know, men, let's just say this. It's our job. It's our place to love our wives no matter what. As I remember, I was sharing with a brother one time, and he'd, he'd asked me for some advice, and I said, I think the reality is, is that, and this is both ways in the marriage, but that we have got to love her at her worst. And the reality is, in this, we have, this is a conviction, is a mandate from God, but the other side of it is, you ladies can make this easier for us. You can fit us to that. In other words, we might have an argument if you're arguing with us. But when you cease to have an argument and you extend a hand of kindness or virtue to us, what do we have to say? I mean, what do you, how can you battle somebody who's being kind and generous back to you when you know you don't deserve it? And if the evil is there in which a man will betray you and hurt you despite the fact that you have displayed to him humility love and kindness, and He will still do it. Remember that you're not doing it for Him. Remember, your first love is Jesus Christ. You gave yourself to Him. And this is the thing about it, is you may not feel the byproduct of the goodness of what you're doing. You may not feel that immediately with Him. You may actually feel like it goes nowhere with Him. But what you will know is this, you ought to have in such a union in your relationship with God that what you've done to Him what you've done to your husband, you've done to Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the husband of the widow. He's, the, he's your husband ultimately. And when you cherish and love him, basically what you're saying is no matter what this earthly man does, no matter what he does, Jesus, you get the benefit of my love. It may feel like you're extending it to him, but think of another scripture where Jesus said, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done it to me. It doesn't tell how, what kind of condition they're in. 
how good or bad they are. It just means that you've done it to Him. And all the more, listen to me, I think the Christians express the deepest and the sincerest of their affections for Jesus Christ in the midst of the hardest of obstacles and struggles. That we get to show that we truly love Him because under any test, under any situation, that love never fades. If anything, it's a springboard for us to move forward with God. Godly headship is a shield. Husbands are the target, not our wives. That's why you don't want to be in that position. Because when you take a position of headship, it doesn't matter what kind, it's a leadership of a sort, you are basically the first man to take out. You play the game of chess. What is it all about? The whole game is about um, capturing the king. And so no matter what happens on the field, the focus is to take him out. Remember that. Ladies, you want to be praying for your man because the reality is, is he's taking the brunt force and sometimes in ways that you don't see. And so really a lot of times as men, we think of it like this. When I come home, I'm just looking forward to the warm invitation and the smile of my wife on her face and then sometimes to realize, man, she's had a chaotic day and now it's my turn to try and give grace to her. And you know, ladies, you realize that it can go both ways, can't it? The reality is, is that sometimes I can be there as being that saving, blessing grace to my, my husband that, man, I don't have to sold him the moment because I don't know what he experienced on his day coming in the door. And what I love is the beauty of Man, when I'm struggling somehow to find in the bottom of that barrel that there's love, deeper love for my spouse, then not you just need to bless me, but how can I, even when it's a struggle for me, how can I love you deeper? And we both get to be on, on both sides of that fence. At some point, as men, we're doing better at it. Sometimes our wives are. But the reality is, at least for you women, you know that he's the shield. He's the one getting shot at. And so you want to pray for him in that way. Uh, the other part is, is it tyrannical or transformational? And this is for him. So we ask ourselves, like, where is this supposed to go for me? And your faith in his headship, and I'm just still speaking to the ladies, your faith in his headship enables him. Whether you realize that or not, it's enabling him. It's encouraging him. It's building him up. And you may feel like, man, he's not very good right now. And that's the best time to encourage him because he's down on the low. and He's not listening to God, perhaps. And you might be the only voice really speaking into his life, not by what you said necessarily, but by what you did. It engages his conscience rather than arousing his ego. And I know this. I'm a married man, and I know what it means when my wife acts virtuously to me and she holds me up. It may feel like on her end, man, he's, he's like going to be a tyrannical giant, and it's transformational when my wife shows me the virtues and the humility and the purity of um, just being there to, to hold me up in different ways. And so it engages my conscience. I wrote this poem one time to my wife, and in a part of that poem, I said, nothing of me demanding, my conscience simply commanding. And I literally have felt that throughout my marriage, is that there's ways in that you have treated me, sometimes in your silence, that provoked me in my conscience, but you didn't demand anything of me. You didn't make me or force me or try and get me to do something. And then it was like I had the free opportunity to exercise love at whatever level I was willing to exercise that in. And then it lends you and him both to the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this is what I love about walking in faith. Because it is basically giving the Holy Spirit the room to do what only He can do. And He does some amazing things. You may say, this man is impossible. This woman, she's just unbelievable. You may have all your complaints, but if you lend yourself to God and let the Lord do His work, you will see the Holy Spirit do the impossible. I know of a, a marriage, a testimony of a couple that had such a, a part in my life, an early discipleship in me, and one of the things that she said, she said, I, I didn't pray for my husband. He was lost as lost can be, a drinking man, just hardened toward God. But when she prayed for him, she said, I didn't pray what I saw. She said, I prayed what I believed God was going to make him to be. And when God got into that man's life, it was a radical 
transformation. I mean, it was a 100% degree turnaround. And there was changes in jobs. There was changes in the way that he lived. And I remember one day he said, I was sitting on my couch with a can of beer in my hands. And I said, God, this is what he said. I said, God, if you can take away this desire for alcohol, I will serve you for the rest of my life. And he said from that day forward, he never had a desire for alcohol again. Now that woman believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. What got him there? What got him to change his mind? What got him to the place where he was radically? Because God gets in there in a powerful way. Remember the story of Pentecost in the book of Acts. And the Bible just tells us plainly that when the Holy Spirit came down, that they were pierced. They were pierced like arrows into their heart. And conviction settled in. And at that moment, anything that Peter said was going to be the changing point for every life. 3,000 souls motivated that day, changed, saved, because of the conviction of God. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we can't be that. But oh man, I just believe in, in the power of prayer, whether it's on the man's side or the woman's. On all of our side, husband and wives. <clears throat> So let's go here to verse 23. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And I think as I spent time considering this and meditating on what is the truth that we need to see here? Men, what do we need to see? And I believe it's just simply this thought. Is it's uh, imitation through impartation. Whenever we see we see this as... The husband is the head, as Christ is the head. We don't ever enter into what God intended for us. Now, there is two different mindsets behind this. We think of it in a hierarchical sense. I'm a hierarchy. I'm a great authority. I'm the head. I'm the leader. Bang. Or I'm the caregiver. I'm the one who loves. I'm the one who cherishes and you know, we, we have either one of those senses or both of them combined, but the reality of it is, is that we will never, we will never understand where it is that God wants us to be and how He wants us to live it out and express it until we've had, until we continue to have an impartation of Christ Himself to us. When men are devoted to their jobs, when men are devoted to the world around them, to everything other than their time spent on their knees, if men are not calling on God and getting an impartation of His Spirit, an encounter with God throughout their weeks and their days, they will never be the head that they need to be. And they'll probably find in that the d destruction and devastation that it leaves within their marriage. Because the reality is, is most of us are not as close to God as we would. And for women, they're waiting for you. They're waiting for us as men to step up to the plate and do what God called us to be. And that's the comfort. That's the safety net that they're looking for. And within that, so many women will begin to respond to that and feel like, I can be a part of this man's life because I know that he loves and cares for me. He's, a, he's not just a headship that's going to demand of me and tell me what to do and a lion force behind what he does, but he's going to be the man who's going to be loving me and strengthening me, and I have but the desire to devote myself to such a man. And the reality is, as men, we have to take that, re that responsibility but sometimes we look at it like, well, I'm going to do this, and I'm up for the challenge, I'm up for the resolution, I've got new resolutions and new plans. Forget your plans, forget your resolutions. If you don't get on your knees and pray, if you don't find your source in God and your ability to do things because of the strength that Christ gives you, then you will fail in this job. That's why I wanted to highlight that, and I see that through this whole of it, is that it's I have to have an impartation of the chief head himself to know how to do my job. I know I have to know what he does in every scenario. And I have to have a download of his mind and his wisdom behind every interaction that I have with my wife. I have to have that. Because otherwise she gets the leftovers of what comes from me as me. And that's never pretty. And that doesn't turn out well most of the time. And if it does, it's because she's got some exceeding great grace from God on her end. Because it's nothing... Uh, otherwise. Praise God. So here's a scripture for us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, 
who loved me and gave himself for me. See, what I loved about my daughter's testimony this morning was is she was talking about, here's this fear and this trouble. And you know, I said, sweetie, can you live a good enough life? If you were just a perfect person, would that be enough? And she knew that the answer was no. And we know that we none of us have lived that perfect life. Because like, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you trust in Him to be for you what you could never be for yourself, that that is... That is our hope of standing before God. And what I loved about her testimony was simply that she finds Christ in trusting Christ. She finds that the Lord and His presence is there by putting faith in Him. And He's already secured for her at her age the simplicity of just the comfort that she needs. And I think that's a great message for us as a church. That's a great message for a pastor, any minister right now, is that we can trust in God and see what He's going to do. So then Christ comes in us. Simply, this is the difference of we can believe in Jesus Christ only and just kind of throw it as a head men, uh, mental descent. But the reality of the gospel is that the living Jesus comes into you. The Spirit of God dwells inside of you. So that's the transition point of what is, what is Christianity all about? Where does it really begin? What is the origin that makes the church the church? It's simply that the point of regeneration where the Spirit of God comes in you and he regenerates and makes a newness of life. He turns upside down the principles of selfishness, the whole mindset of serving myself as a chief end of life. And then he turns you to be that he's the chief end of your life and the glory of God in serving him is the chief end by which you live. And so here we have, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but Christ lives in me. And sometimes this is the part that we haven't gotten in our life is, did Jesus get inside of me? Is the living God working and dwelling inside of me, or am I missing it? And you know He's inside of you because convictions that weren't there are there now. And the desire to, and the ability to do what you've struggled so hard to be able to do before, you can do now. Because God is there as a living force inside of you, moving and working. And so it's not just God outside of me praying to the God in the cosmos. It's the God whose Spirit dwells within me speaking directly to me in the moments of everyday life. And then lastly, basically, based on that scripture, Christ in you defines you. Christ in you defines you. So no matter what we look on the outside, no matter what we hate about ourselves, no matter what we love about ourselves, this is our defining factor is, what does Jesus see? What is he showing me? And Jesus is the one who defines me. Let's go to verse, uh, verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives. And is this a challenge or a charge? Is this a challenge to men or is it a charge to men? Love your wives. Some of us receive it as a challenge. God's commands do not come with exception clauses. Just remember that. And the reason is, is because we're not skillful enough to judge for ourselves, when is this the exception? When is this the exception to the rule? When do I not have to do this? And the other part of it is, is that you don't know where the miracle's coming from. You don't know what God's going to do. So you have to begin to suggest in your mind that God knows why he gave this to me, even though I'm totally blind to what's going to happen or what could happen. So God doesn't do it with exception clauses. You just have to do it by faith. If love does not command our every endeavor, it's certainly, it is certain that nothing else will triumph in its place. If love doesn't do it, then nothing else will do it. I love the scripture in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It tells us that love never fails. If there's anything that we're going to hold on to, it's love. If anything else were more calculated to work in our broken world, certainly God would have commanded that. We have to remember, if God thought that there was any other way that this could happen, he would have told us to do that instead. And so when you look in the Bible, remember that what your instruction is here is better than anything else you'll ever come up with. And if this doesn't do it, nothing else will. So you're going to go with what's the most probable most likely. The further we drift from love, the more certain we are to fail. 
the further we drift from love, the more certain we are to fail. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So whenever you look at your lives, men, whenever you begin to just put anything to the test, how am I doing in my marriage? Just begin to think about, rather than how am I doing in my marriage, how well am I loving? And how much is this? And not only this, but love comes from Christ. Love comes from God. I need to have a relationship with God so that I know that love and it defines me. How close am I to God's love? And then you can answer that question is, am I drifted from that love? Have I fallen from that love? And if I am, then I'm more probable to fail the further away than I am from God's love. So that's the call to men in our church now and the men worldwide is we have a call to prayer. We have a call to get close to God. We have a call, a mandate to do that. So... The reason why it's a mandate for husbands to love their wives, as much as we're like, well, this should be spontaneous love, enjoyable, those kinds of things, partly is this, is that um, it's a byproduct of your love life with Jesus. (laughs) It's a byproduct of our love life with our Savior. So the reason why I'm given this call from God is that it automatically, my love for my wife automatically reflects on my love with God. Now, another scripture to take in mind is in 1 John. He said, if you hate your brother, how dwells the love of God in you? Because how can you hate him whom you do see and then love the one you don't see? So what you see is scripturally that our relationships, God's relationship with us, is tied to our relationships with others. You cannot separate them biblically. You have no way of separating that relationship. In verses 28 through 33, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. I just want you to stop there. It's like, that's interesting to me. He says, we are a part of his flesh and of his bones and of his body. And for that cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. They too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let, uh, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So this is, I was, I, I, last night, as I pondered this scripture, I had wondered, Lord, what is the message we receive here? This is what I would like to share with you. There is oneness that streamlines both relationships. Oneness streamlines both relationships. If we do not experience it in one, we are not equipped to have it in the other. This way, for this cause. You know, we don't know how to be joined to our wives. We don't know how to be one with a different personality, with the unique differences in how God's wired them and created them until we learn to be one with God. We don't know. And I think, uh, as I read that, my heart is shattered. Because I know, and I've been around it, and I've watched men literally tear their marriages to pieces. Because their primary focus was their wife. And I've watched wives do the same thing. And when you read this, it's, it's inescapable. You cannot but see the interconnection of both of those relationships. And when one is broken, the other one has a way of being broken too. And you can pretty much sum it up. And I'm not saying that it's always on both sides of the situation. But when you look at a divorce, you know that somebody compromised their relationship to God. 
Now, some in, in many scenarios, and listen to me, there's things that you couldn't have prevented. But you know and we know that anytime somebody's basically urging on that direction, you can assume this. They've lost their convictions to follow the way Jesus wanted them to. Now, the reason I say this is because I don't necessarily throw the fault on any one person. But we know that Jesus Christ, Jesus said it from this. He said it wasn't, this wasn't the original intent from God. My focus is not the divorce. My focus is in what the relationship to Jesus Christ actually does in our lives. You know, all of us and all of our marriages are one step to ending it only simply by doing this, is forgetting God. In Jeremiah, he said, you have forgotten me days without number and you've hewn out cisterns that do not hold water. You have not spent time at my feet. And this is where the idolatry started. This is where the problems begin. And this is where they will continue to cultivate for ages beyond. That's why the human being, as human beings, as fleshly men and women, there is no out. There is no hope from the disaster that we will bring upon ourselves and others unless we turn to God, unless we make Him our Lord and we give Him our lives. And in Christianity today, unless we begin to make sure that this book is the roadmap for the way we're going to live, brothers and sisters, we can proclaim, I am a Christian, and we can live so far from this book and so much into the world, we begin to try and blend the two and realize there is no blending the two. Our objective from pastor on down is to make sure this book is the byproduct of our life. And there is no escaping it. The Bible and what it means. And believe me, you need the Holy Spirit. And you need God in your times of prayer. Set the Bible in front of you and say, Lord, show me your word again. Because I'm a man. I'm a finite mind. But Lord, you're an infinite mind. And I need something from heaven to show me the ways of Christ and the ways to walk. And that, Lord, do that for me, I pray. And this submission, this brokenness, this posture spirit before God is where the promises begin. Just think about the incredible promises of God for our lives. The things that are impossible for man are possible with God. What we cannot do, He can do. And carry this into your marriage because this is the thing. I think God is simply telling us this. In America right now, in the world right now, that He's simply saying one thing, that if you forsake Me, your calamities will come upon you. But if you repent and get right with Me, and you turn to Me with all of your heart, you open the doorway of heaven. And America right now needs us. The church right now needs Me and you to make sure that the highest goal of our life is to live for God, to live for Him. Jesus is the standard. Notice it says Jesus is the head of the church. Now, the reason why this is important, and I'll come to a close here in just a second, the reason why this is so vital and so important is imagine the church right now without Jesus Christ as its head. Maybe some of us have a little bit of that picture because we know what people are doing and we know what churches are doing. They've thrown the Bible out. There's no more testimony about Jesus and it's become, it's still a church in name, but it's a founder, it's originator, is not anywhere in its congregation. Now, imagine your marriage without solid headship. That's where it goes. And so God is encouraging us. I feel this morning on so many levels, so encouraged. Before I even got up here, I felt so blessed. I feel like God is encouraging us in we will look to Him. We will look to Him in these days and we will see God do things that only He can do. And I want to share one other thought in Scripture. Remember Elijah. Elijah, uh, God, God sent him in the time of famine and he prayed and God gave him Elijah's provision through the mouth of a ravenous bird. And God can provide for us in these times of famine. Our first objective is seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be established. Friends, do not try. Brothers and sisters, do not try to establish the principles of the kingdom, the provision of the kingdom without submission to the king of the kingdom. And our, it is, this will go beyond our marriages. I think that's just the tipping point. There's everything else in our life right now. And so I think America, 
I think right now we are standing on the Mount of Ebal and the Mount of Gerizim. And it's our deciding point is, are we going to be under the curses or the blessings? And you know what? The bless of this curses isn't just God throwing down curses from heaven. What it is is simply this, is that basically by living our lives outside of the plan of God for us and making him our first love, we basically say, remove your hand from us, Lord. We don't need you right now. And then you know that there's nothing but catastrophe going to happen after that. Nothing but calamity at that point. So, Father, right now, we want to give you the praise. We want to lift you up, Lord, and pray that you will get all the glory. Just as, Lord, right now we are preparing for communion to remember what you've done and your death. Lord, you've secured for us everything we'll ever need. I want to praise you, Lord. Thank you for the marriages that are going to be touched, rejuvenated, vitalized through the power of this message. Thank you, Lord, for marriages that have been growing and walking. Lord, where both of them have been walking close to you, but Lord, none of us have come to a climax or the final end to the growth, Lord, that you have for us. So Jesus, I just pray for more growth in godly marriages. Lord, deeper relationships. Lord, we talk about intimacy, Lord, but we mean spiritual intimacy along with every other kind, Lord Jesus. And I want to thank you because with husbands and wives praying together, skillfully, Lord, standing in the gap, oh, Lord, what a wonderful blessing it will be to see what the Holy Spirit does with that. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. What I want to do right now is uh, take communion, um, and we'll, we'll do that together. And... Um, what I would like to do is, is because, and Micah had done this a few times, is that he actually allowed for you guys to come up when you felt ready. And so I'm going to read these scriptures because I feel like it's really important to take this time before the Lord. And this isn't a formality. So, you know, whatever we've got to do, whatever business we have for the day, it's not as important as what we're doing in the moment. But it's not a formality. But sometimes, and, and when it tells us that we need to examine ourselves, and judge ourselves, for some of us, we need to do more of that than others. And so I want you to have all the time that you need to do that. So take this when you feel like you're ready to take it. Because, you know, the Lord doesn't want to discourage us from it, but he wants to encourage us to do it. But we need to take, some of us just need to take some time before the Lord to do that. So let's read here in 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, we'll read here in verse 23. For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. Which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing... He is to eat the bread and drink the cup. And he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and in number sleep. But if we, if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, 
we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So, Father, right now, Lord, as a church, as your children, we just want to examine our lives. We just want to examine ourselves before you. We want to do it with sobriety. We want to do it with tenderness. Lord, we want to put in front of us the, the sacrifice that you've made is worth every moment that we spend right now to ask you if there's anything in our life, if you see anything that needs to change. Lord, if there's any areas of repentance right now, if there's any place or anybody that we need to get right with, that we'll take the time to do it now. Lord, not later. Not at another moment, not another time, but right now. We can't wait another week to get relationships right, to apologize and to make right for things that we've done. Lord, if there's any place in somebody's life where there needs to be restitution, they've cheated somebody somehow and they've left it and haven't dealt with it, Lord, I just pray that there'll be confession and an intention to deal with that. And Lord, I believe we can still take of the communion if that's the decision point. The decision is the, the willingness to do, Lord. And I pray for that right now. And so, Lord, just help us right now as a congregation to take time and be solemn and ready for this communion. And I pray that not one here will feel that they can't do it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'm going to remove the lids here. And as you feel led, I would like for you to come up. And take that time, even even grab the elements and uh, and take them and spend some time looking at both of them. As Jesus said, the bread represents his body and the cup represents his blood. And remember what the Lord has done for you.